I want to start out this morning by saying thank you. Thank you to all of you who serve here so diligently. And I realize that some of you are here so early in the morning. By the way, worship team, can we give them a hand, guys? Eddie and Suzanne on sound today, thank you for serving on your, on your day off. Um, and also, all the children's ministry people, can we give them a hand? Some of them are in here now. Um, you know, it's kind of like the Israelites in the desert. We set up the tabernacle, and then we break it down each week. And it takes a lot to do that. And we're glad many of you appreciate it. Some of you serve so regularly and diligently. We want to say thank you so much, because church wouldn't happen, worship wouldn't happen without you. So thank you so much for all you do. Everything you do goes seen by the living God. He sees everything. And he's a rewarder in those respects. So thank you very much, especially those of you who are so consistent. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. In fact, to me, that's one of the most exciting things about what God's doing right now. I see God drawing some people from our community, from the north, south, east, and west, every tribe, tongue, and nation, to serve the king in different capacities. And when I see these different giftings and what different people bring to the table for the glory of God, it's amazing. It's really, really cool. I'm excited about that, and that just tells me he's got some great things in store. So stay tuned. Stay tuned. Hey, um, many of you guys know our, uh, our sweet sister, Jackie. Uh, we had a memorial service for her last week. Jackie was one of our own. Uh, we love Jackie. She served here in children's ministry. Um, and uh, she, she was amazing. I got to tell you, her memorial service was really a, a welcome home party. It was really like a send-off. Uh, Jackie affected so many of us, and it was evident by her memorial service. There was so much love in that room. There was so much love and so much appreciation for who Jackie was and what she did and the life she gave away. In fact, when I think of faith, I will always look to Jackie in my mind. When I think of someone with faith that I knew that I had the privilege to live with and serve with, a brother or sister in the Lord, I will always think of Jackie because Jackie came up against these profound obstacles, and yet she would stand in faith in a way that was unshakable. And I always said, wow, that is so amazing. I hope if my world's fallen apart like that, I hope I can stand in the kind of faith that Jackie did. She was absolutely amazing. Many of you know that. Um, But before she went home to glory, she was able to do a few important things. She was able to communicate some things that were very personal to her. We got to go in and pray with her and be with her in the hospital. Even some of the gals went down to worship with her because this was important to her before she went home to glory. She got to renew her wedding vows on her deathbed. How cool is that? I mean, you talk about these are important to her. She's like, there's some things I need to do before I leave. And she did these amazing things, and it was very, very moving. She even communicated to her husband, Sonny, hey, listen, there's going to be a memorial service. But I don't want any of this, this, and this. Don't make it all about me. Now, it's her memorial service, but she didn't want it to be too much about her. This is just her, her heart and her nature. And final instructions, I would suggest, are important. If you or I were checking out of this life, what would we impart? What would you and I say, hey, look, you know, it's time. My time's up. And here's a few things you've got to hold on to, whether it's to your friends, your family, your children, whatever the case is. What are those final things that you would impart? And most importantly, 
If we live those things out and then we impart them, people will hold on to them. Jackie did that. She lived this out and she imparted some things. Today we're looking at the Apostle Paul. He says, look, I'm, I'm parting. Where I'm going, you'll never see me again. And I'm going to leave you some final things that are so important. Paul lived it out. He wrote it down. It's being handed on. He's saying, look, you won't see me again, but hold on to these few things, would you? I hope you and I have the same kind of exit strategy that Paul had. I really do. We don't like to think about our exit strategy. We're thinking, hey, that's a long way from now. But it's been said that if you aim at nothing, you'll, you'll certainly land there. You've got to aim at something. You can't aim at nothing. Paul had an aim. Paul lived his life for the glory of God. And he said when he's leaving, let me leave you these few things. It's really amazing. Uh, we're in Acts chapter 20 this morning. If you want to follow along, this is great. And this is in the bulletin as well. Now, I know some of you by nature are not note takers, but I want to encourage you today to take notes. Because as I was praying about this message, I really believe the reason you're here today is because you're either seeking God or you're already on your journey with the Lord, but you're here because you want to grow. That's why we come to the house of God. We fellowship, we grow together, we worship together, but God wants to do some things in your life. And I am sure that as we go through these seven steps to an exit strategy, there's seven things today. Some of them you'll look at and you'll say, you know, I'm actually pretty good with that. I I, I tend to do that and I kind of have that down and and that one too and, and that one too. But I assure you, there'll be one or two in this list that if you let the Lord speak to you, I think the Holy Spirit might ring your bell a little bit and go, now that's missing from my exit strategy. So pray about that. I know when I read this, it speaks to me. Paul, again, he's the guy It had an amazing walk, amazing life, an amazing ministry. And if he modeled um, what a Christian ought to be, I mean, he, he did pretty much more than anybody aside from Christ himself. And you know, he leaves us with this exit strategy. So let's follow along. If we could, we'll look at this in sections. And you can write down the seven steps. Hopefully, his steps will be your steps. Hopefully, you too will have a seven-step exit strategy like Paul's that we can start living out now. So let's follow along if we could. Acts 20, we're going to start right here in verse 25. And it says, Now I know that none of you among whom I've gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I'm innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning you, each of you, night and day, with tears. Okay, here's a really emotional scene, if we could get into the picture. These people love Paul. Paul came around. He shared faith with these folks. These folks grew in the faith, and he spent so much time. These people have a vibrant life in the Lord now because of folks like Paul. And and Paul meant so much to them. He's like, guys... It's been amazing. I love you, but you're never going to see me again. And they're thinking, no, 
don't tell us that. He's like, no. This is going to be the last time you're going to see me. And before I leave, I've got I to gotta put these things down. Please, if you remember anything, hold on to these things. And, and he goes on about some of the most important things. Now, I don't know if any of you have seen the movie, My Life. That's my wife's favorite movie. My Life is a great movie. Uh, it's a movie. Michael Keaton is playing this guy named Bob Jones. And his life is going great. He's got a great job, beautiful wife, and got a baby on the way. Then he finds out that he has a terminal disease. And he has a very short period of time to live. And for the first time in his life, he starts to put an exit strategy in place. Never had one. Never even thought about it. But he decided to put one in place. And he set up a video camera. And it's really, it's great the way he does this. He videotapes things of himself. Because he knows he's not going to be around for his child. And he wants to impart wisdom. And he wants to show his child how to live. And it's going to be all on video because he's not going to be around. And as the story goes, he actually gets to live a little longer and sees the birth of his child. And I think all the way to the first or second birthday. So he gets a little further down the road than he thought he ever would. But it transformed his life. And the reason is, is for the first time he decided to come up with an exit strategy. And he had to deal with some things like bitterness. He had to deal with forgiveness. He had to deal with things that he never wanted to deal with. And he was going to go through his whole life without dealing with them until he knew, "Uh uh-oh, there really is an end. It's coming sooner than I thought. I better get an exit strategy together. Well, it's a great movie. Paul is in that place right now, too. I'm leaving. Here's the final things, guys. If there's anything you hold on to, hold on to these. And let's break them down individually. The first one he says is, Look, I'm innocent of any man's blood. Now, what he's saying is, look, guys, I can look back on my life and honestly say, I have no outstanding issues. There aren't any folks out there that I did wrong to, any kind of harm that I haven't tried to make right. And that is so important because there's a lot of folks that it's hard to go back and redo things. Wouldn't you agree? You know, you do something wrong or maybe regret. It's hard to go back and try to make things right. And some just keep going through life and try to ignore it or forget about it. But it's hard to go back and make things right. You know, I, I was telling you the story earlier of uh, Jackie's memorial service. And um, what was so amazing, I, I, we came home from the memorial service uh, last Sunday night. And I wasn't home 10 minutes. And my neighbor calls me and says, hey, the other neighbor, two doors down, name's Alex, about 85 years old, World War II vet, says, look, I think the paramedics were there. I'm not sure if he made it. So right after Jackie's memorial, so I walk down two doors. I knock on the door. His son, about 65 years old, is in the house. I said, can I come in? And he said, yeah. I said, how's Alex doing? He said, he's not. Excuse me? How, how's he doing? He goes, he's not. And he points over to the chair, and Alex had just passed away. And it's covered with a blanket. And I'm like, we just left Jackie's memorial service, which was a beautiful one. And I'm in this room with this guy, and he is, I got to tell you, I, I said, look, I'm a pastor. Is there any way we can help? We live two doors down. Can we help you in this time? Or is there, any way we, is there anything we could do for you? And I said, I met your brother the other day, and there's only two sons. They're both around 60, 65, and they're the only survivors. I said, is there any way? He's like, no. And I heard the bitterness between these two brothers. This guy with his father in the chair proceeded to tell me for 10 minutes 
how bad his brother was. I just left a service of love, that everyone was sharing love for the person who passed and celebrating their life. Ten minutes later, I'm in another home with the man deceased in the chair and the son just spewing about the other brother. I'm like, is this recent or is this long-term? I want to I try to be a peacemaker. I want to try to get this resolved if I can. This is deep and wide unforgiveness, bitterness, unreconciled, with no plan or intention to do it. Very, very sad. Paul says, look, I'm innocent of any man's blood. I, I can look back in the rearview mirror of my life. I don't have any harm outstanding. Back there, I'm good on my side. At least I tried. I tried to go back and clean up my side of the street, and I tried to make it right with other folks. I tell you what, that's an amazing way to not only live life, but to leave this life. If you could look back and go, there aren't any issues back there. I tried to make them right. So the first point is this, guys. Take care of anything outstanding. Take care of anything outstanding. Write these down, please, if you're a note taker, because there's going to be some today that you're going to go, yeah, that one, hmm. There's an issue, and I, and, and I need to modify things. If there's anything outstanding in your life, if it's with your parents, if it's with your friends, if it's with people you used to work with or other believers, if there's anything that you can point to, go, yep, there's definitely a train wreck back there. Deal with it. Don't even go further without dealing with it. Pray about how you can clean up your side of the street. Hey, listen, if they don't want to forgive or be reconciled, that's not up to you. It's your point to take the initiative to try to make it right and own your part. Amen? That's what we have to do. We have to own our side of the street. When you do that, the first one to say, I'm sorry, is the first one to be free. And you need to be free. You need to be free going through life and leaving this life, but also living this life. And some folks wonder, honestly, they wonder, where is the power of God in their life? And you know what? If we don't get through this one, we won't see the power of God. Because... Jesus says, freely you've been given, freely give. I gave you forgiveness, forgive them. Lord, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, right? But we leave half of it out and we think it's okay. We think we could ignore these things and still kind of cruise through life and that God's still going to bless us. Paul understands it doesn't work that way. He modeled it well. He's telling these guys, look, I'm not going to see you, but, but remember these things. Look, don't, don't have anything outstanding. I... I I have no outstanding issues. I'm innocent of anyone's blood. There's no issues of harm in the rearview mirror in my life. That's my prayer that we would reflect on that too and we would, we would take that to heart. Uh, the next thing he says is, look, I didn't hold back telling you about the whole will of God. Here's the thing. God shows you things in his word. He shows you things through life experience. And there's, some, there's certain things that you are convinced this is God's will, and for sure I know that this is not. There are certain things that are clear. There's other things we're praying our way through and we're trying to understand and discern. But there are some things you know very clearly, this is pleasing to God, this is not. We all know that. God puts that in our hearts. That's kind of hardwired, it says in Romans, in our heart. And then as a believer, the Holy Spirit begins to convict and reveal and, 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 and show us these things. But along the way, what do we do with that? If we're around people we love and people we see and we care about and maybe things are, you know, off track, do we say anything or do we be quiet and say, 
that's their thing. I'm going to let them work. I mean, what do we do? Some would say, well, I'm not that kind of person. I don't really speak up about those sort of things. Well, listen, if God puts people in your life as your friends or your family and you love them and you care about them and they're going to drive off a cliff unless you say something, will you say something? No, no, they're, they're entitled to their opinion and, and I don't really want to think I'm judging them or something. And some people really back up from that. I would suggest as a believer, that's not what Paul's saying here. Paul is saying, look, I wasn't afraid to speak into people's lives. If I saw something that was the will of God, I would tell them, I think God is pleased with you. Some people need to know that. You have folks around you that are trying so hard to please the Lord. They need to know God sees you, and that's pleasing what you're doing. You know what you're doing is hard right now, and it's pleasing to the Lord. They need to know that. You also maybe have some other friends that are taking a left turn, and it's not your position, I don't think, in in the Lord to be completely silenced, to say, you know, with all due respect, I care about you and love you enough to tell you the truth. Can I I make a suggestion to you? Not not judging you and not any of those things, but do you think the Lord's in this? Do you think this is pleasing to the Lord right now? And a lot of folks won't do that, but I'll tell you what, if you don't do that, You'll go through life with regret. You'll go through life looking back going, yeah, I saw those things happening. I saw things coming. I didn't say anything. It wasn't my problem. And, and if you look back at your life, you'll probably realize there were some people who spoke into your life. I remember in uh, my junior year of high school, I, uh, I moved out at 16. I was working a full-time job and trying to finish my junior year. And I got to tell you, the way it was for me, it was a blur at that point because I was working until 9 or 10 at night. It was just like a blur to me. And history was great. I loved history, but early in the year, it was a chapter a week, and I was fine with that. But at the end, it started to be two and three and four chapters a week. I just couldn't keep up. Um, wasn't a believer. Me and this friend of mine on the, on the, uh, on the final, we were looking around a little bit too much. Cheating. Thank you. Thank you. We were cheating. We were cheating. So easy to point out somebody else's, isn't it? So easy. But (laughs) the teacher, and you have to see this teacher. This teacher was a Vietnam vet, shaved head, jugular veins popping out of his neck. And when he would talk about history, especially like the Vietnam War, he he would start to quit. I mean, this guy was just like, whoa, it's like a pit bull. In fact, he started boxing in school without even getting approval from the school district. The kids were getting hurt and pummeled. He's like, come on, hit them. You know? And finally, they're like, stop. You're a history teacher. You can't, you can't do this. You know? they, they're banned it from the whole district. But this guy, when he's given out the grades, he's given out the grades, and I remember him saying Cashman and Ramstrom in my office after, and we're like, oh, no. And he realized by our grades that we had copied some things from each other. And this guy in the back room, he, after the class, he went to both of us, what is wrong with you two? Wham! And he slammed us up against the wall. Now today they throw you in jail for that. But he's like, you two have the potential to be the smartest kids in my class. What are you doing? Are you going to go through your life like this? Or are you going to start to earn? And I'm telling you about him today. As he spoke into my life many years ago and was willing to tell me the truth. Now, don't go shoving people like happened to me. I don't recommend that. 
We do the truth in love, right guys? Truth in love. But we do the truth. And I'm telling you this because it, it put an impression on me. Somebody could have just said, whatever, these kids, let them figure it out. But he didn't do that. He went the step further and say, you know what? I care enough about you to tell you the truth. And that spoke volumes to me. And I would suggest to us as believers, if we're going to finish well, when there's things that we see or observe, it's not judgmental, it's not being critical, it's, um, it's saying, I love you enough to see something here. Can I suggest something to you in love? Can I, I mean, in love, can I, can I, I'm not mad at you, I'm not, I'm not pointing a finger. Can I suggest something? I don't think God's in this. I don't think the way you go, I don't think the Lord's in this. Would you at least pray about that? And I preface that personally in my life. I preface that by telling people, by the way, first of all, this is a two-way street. If you see something in my life, a pattern, a pattern, I, I, I welcome that. I'll listen and I'll pray about what that is. It's, first, it's a two-way street. And since we love each other and we care about each other and it is a two-way street, can I share something with you? I think there's a pattern. I don't know if it's pleasing to the Lord. You might want to pray about that. Because you'll finish well. You'll look back in the rearview mirror going, you know what? I did the right thing. I'm not regretting anything. I cared enough to tell the truth. Paul says that. I wasn't, wasn't afraid to speak into people's life. I, I, didn't, I told you the whole will of God. Really important. By the way, God's will, when you commit, it's got to be in love. The truth must be in love. If you speak the truth in someone's life and it's not in love, then it's wrong. Then it's off. It's not going to be received. There's no good witness to that. There's no good fruit to that. But when it's in love, you know, let the Holy Spirit do the rest. You're done with your part. Um, That's great. He goes on uh, in verse uh, 28 and 31. He says, look, be on your guard. And he goes, keep watch over yourselves. Also keep keep watch over the flock, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Now, the, the dynamic to this is, in fact, that these guys were elders of the church in Ephesus. So these guys were leaders of a specific flock. But I think the wider application is this, that... If we don't keep watch over ourselves, we're not even going to be prepared to keep watch over anybody under us. You realize that? If we don't keep watch over ourselves, we're not even going to be fit. We're not even going to see clearly. We're not even going to discern enough to take care of anybody that is under our care. And um, the third point is this this morning. Uh, Keep a careful watch over everyone God has entrusted to you. God has entrusted, this says the Holy Spirit entrusts to us. If you have any level of stewardship in the life, any level of influence, maybe if you have children or maybe it's friends or it's co-workers or you're a boss or any kind of way, uh, aunt or uncle or anything, that, that God has given you a, a level of overseeing sight. It could be an older brother or sister with younger siblings. It could be a lot of different things. Um, but God has placed you in a place where you do have some oversight as an overseer. And we gotta, um, we got to be careful to watch over everyone God's been entrusted to us because sometimes we tend to think, again, it's really not my issue, it's not my problem. Or say, for example, if you have children. Here's a perfect example. Um, sometimes parent, parents obviously love their kids and want the best for their kids. But as a parent, it can be very convenient to go, just go ahead and watch that video. I'm busy right now. Because... <laughs> How many parents get wore out by their kids? Anybody? Okay, so you know a video is like the best antidote. You know, it's like the opiate for toddlers. You know, put the Barney video on, you know. Um, But I got to tell you, as things go on, they tend to want more and more and more of this stuff. And they tend to want things that are pushing the envelope. 
That's just the reality. And it's easy for the parent to go, hey, you know, just whatever, you know, just I, I need some peace. Instead of going, I don't know if that's good for you. And this is part of the oversight that's important, to be watchful, to be watchful and to think about this. Um, I would suggest that when we stand before the Lord someday and give an account for, for everything, um, we are going to give an account to God for the things we have, but m- before that happens, we're going to give an account for the people that God's entrusted to us, the people that he's entrusted to us, because God cares more about people than he does about things. And we think of stewardship with things. We think about that, how we're supposed But do we think of stewardship about people the same way? That's got to be way higher. The stewardship over lives, of who you oversee, or of who God's entrusted you with, so, so important. He says, keep watch over yourself so you're in a position to keep watch over them. I mean, it's really important. And I think some forget to do this. And I think when you, when you don't have this priority, you end up later in life looking back going, Oh, yeah, I wasn't very watchful. I was too busy with other things instead of being watchful over the people. That's one regret. In fact, on the backside of life, we're gonna, we could care less about the things. We go through life pursuing a lot of things, but when we're checking out of this life, we're going to care nothing about those things. We're going to care about people. We're not going to care about any of those things. And so the people are what matter most, and to keep careful watch. And... The way we do that, I believe, is through prayer. When you're prayerfully watchful, it says be watchful. When you're prayerful and watchful, the Holy Spirit will begin to show you some things. If you have any level of oversight or influence, whether it's on the job or in the family or whatever the case, you pray about, Lord, would you show me things about my oversight that you've given me? Would you show me? He'll show you areas. He'll show you where there's a crack in the slab, so to speak. He'll show you where there's a breach in the wall. He'll show you, if you have children, where the enemy is trying to hijack their soul. And we didn't see it coming. He'll show you. He will show you. He's great. He loves to do that. So be prayerful and watchful, and he will show you these things. Really, really important. Um, It says in um, Song of Solomon, it says, it's the little foxes that ruin the vineyards. It's those little foxes that ruin the vineyards. And I think in the lives of, of children specifically, it's those little foxes that ruin the vineyards. And so we've got to look out for these things. We've got to always be looking. Uh, it moves on in verse 32, and it says, Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had said this, he knelt down with all of them and he prayed. They all wept as they embraced and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to his ship. Basically, he starts out here on this other thing. He lists some final things. A sad scene, very you know, uh, emotional scene. But he says, look, I'm going to commit you to God and the word of grace. And what's important is, important is he puts God and God's word together. He didn't just say, look, I commit you to God. He says, I commit you to God and God's word. And I think the reason he does that is 
You probably know a lot of folks like I do that have an opinion about God. They have an idea of what God wants, but they know nothing about the source book, right? They they don't know anything this really says, or they, they, they think something's in here and it's not. But they don't know anything about God's word. But they're convinced about God and the way it should be and who goes to heaven and what God will bless. They're convinced. But they know nothing about this. You can't truly know God unless you know his word because it's this word that reveals his nature, his desires, his will for your life. It's this word that reveals your identity. You're going to get your identity from the world or from the word. Either one. And when folks don't spend any time here, they end up getting their identity from the world. And and Paul's like, no, I want to commit you to God and his word because if I can commit you to God and his word, if you can use this as a lamp to your feet to guide your paths, if you could use this as a roadmap in life, you're going to do really well. But if you try to put this aside and ignore it, like some folks simply do, or they don't spend much time here, and they try to navigate life, what, what they think God wants or who he is, they completely miss their identity, their position, the promises of God. This is all out the window. This is the only thing that reminds us of that consistently. And so that's why he's saying, look, I commit you to the word, and I commit you to God and his word. And uh, I would say that's step number four. He's telling these guys, look, I'm not going to see you. You'll never see me again. Please remember, step number four, stay committed to God and his word. I know you'd say you'd love God, he'd tell that church, but would you stay committed to the word too? Because that's going to be the only thing that's going to really keep you on track with God. You can't exempt yourself from the word and just say, no, we got this relationship, me and God, and I think... God's telling me everything. It's like you've got to check everything with this. You really do. This is the test right here. This is the roadmap. And to try to go through life without the roadmap is a pretty destructive way to travel. Can you imagine getting cross country with no roadmap or no GPS? You'd be hitting some old back roads with some bumps and potholes and dead ends. It's like you need the map. You've got to know where you're going, and that's what the word is. So that's really important. He goes on in verse 33, and this is another important one. He says, look, by the way, before I leave, you need to know this. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. Why is that important? Coveting is this. We're on this journey with the Lord. Okay, we got our eyes on the prize. God's got a call in our life. He's moving us through life. But coveting is this. Whoa, would you look at that? And all of a sudden, our eyes are off the journey. Our eyes are off the road. And we're looking at somebody's stuff. We're looking at something that we like a little too much. I mean, stuff is nice. It's nice to have things in life. It's nice to have nice things. But when we start to covet, that's the thing where we go, ooh, I really want that. I mean, I really want that. And that could be gold or silver in this context. It could be money. We could be driven by money. We could be driven by success, fame, for We could be driven by a lot of things. And this is what he's saying. Hey, I don't care whether it's clothes that I can't afford or things or how, stuff that I can't. I'm not going to let that rule me. Now, the Bible has no problem with the blessings of God. And if God blesses you with great things and phenomenal things, wealthy things, Beautiful. Be a great steward of it. That's not the issue. But when we are looking to what we don't have and we're coveting that, that has been the demise of so many people along the journey. People that started well, they just didn't finish well. Because somewhere along the journey, this crept up. 
All of a sudden, somewhere, they were doing well. They were running such a good race. But all of a sudden, they're like, wow, would you look at that? You know, I, I know some folks that were ministering for years, faithful. And they started to wonder, well, wait a second. Don't we really deserve to have certain things? Shouldn't we have, you know, this? And they just, I don't know where this came from. Somebody probably told them, you deserve this, this, and this. And for some reason, they started to think, yeah. Think we deserve, and I don't know what happened, but all of a sudden they took their eyes off the prize and started to covet some other stuff. And before you knew it, they had a train wreck in their ministry. They're not in ministry today. What happened? They started well, doing well for a long time, they didn't finish well. Maybe God will restore that. That's my prayer. But don't covet what others have. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Amen. When we teach that to the kids, we put it more simply. We say, the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. And when our kids go, oh, daddy, I want that, I want that, I want that, or one of those things, which you're going to start hearing soon, parents, because Christmas is coming up. Our kids get something in the mail. They're out there circling everything, fighting over what they're circling. It's like, wait a minute. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. I have everything I need. And if you go through life with that disposition in your heart, And in fact, it's been said that she who needs nothing has everything. He who needs nothing has everything. If there's stuff you need, then you're in want and we're looking all around. But if we're satisfied knowing God and his sovereignty has you where you are, even if there's maybe some things that that, that we're hoping for or praying for, God sees these things and that's understandable. But again, it's not money. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. And so that's really important. So we've got to be careful what we covet and if we covet. It's wrecked some folks along the way. Write that one down. Uh, the sixth one is this. He says, look, guys, I worked hard. All the time you guys knew me, I worked hard. I wasn't a slacker. I, I worked hard. I, I did things. I served. I, I, I wasn't passive and just checked out and, and lazy sitting on a hammock or sipping my iced tea with an umbrella in it. I was working the whole time you've known me. I've been working. And, and basically what he's saying, and this came up previously in Acts, he's basically saying, if you're going to finish well, you need to have a great work ethic. You need to establish a great work ethic if you don't have one. And the reason is, as a believer, your witness is at stake and my witness is at stake. If we're just like passive and lazy and sloppy, people look at that and there's not a good witness to that. There's got to be substance to what we do and who we are. And Christians ought to be the best workers, the most creative, the hardest. We really ought to be because our witness is at stake. Paul's like, look, when I was with you, I finished well. You saw that. That's an important one. Write that one down. Work hard. Establish a great work ethic. Really, your witness is at stake and mine is as well. These are some of these you might go, yep, got it down, got it down. And others you might go, oh, that one. Really, I believe this is Paul's parting words, and he's doing this for a reason. And uh, here's the next thing he says. He says, remember the words of Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, this is an important one that he's parting them with. In fact, it's his last instruction. But to Paul, this is important. Not some little side thing. This is like something important. And maybe he saved the best for last, or he's like, before I go, you got to know this. He's saying, remember, it's more blessed to give than receive. What he's saying is this, and it's step number seven. He's saying, 
Would you guys um, learn the blessing of giving? There's a blessing to giving. Would you learn it? And there are some that would say, no, I don't, I don't want to learn. I don't want to give or learn the blessing to it. Others are like, blessing? How could there actually be a blessing? I don't see the upside of giving. And others say, no, I, I give and I know the blessing of giving. Now, here's the thing about this, guys. There are some who have learned the blessing of giving and get it. I know for myself as a believer, my first year or two, I was trying to figure out what this was about until I stepped out in faith. And in about 20 years of my Christian faith, I have never stopped giving. There hasn't been a week in my life where I, didn't, where I ever stopped giving or tithing. Christy and I are home. Back. We never stopped because we learned this blessing a long time ago. And, and there's many of you that understand that, and you're like, yeah, I get it. It's, it's a moot point to me. I totally get it. And there's others that are like, yeah, no, I don't, I don't get that. I don't see that at all. I don't even know that there is a blessing really in the giving. And this is telling us that there's a profound reward in giving. There's a profound reward in giving. And the sad thing to me, I think, is many believers won't experience it. I think Paul's saying that. Learn the blessing of giving, but many believers won't experience it. God will bless us with opportunities and more provision. Listen to what it says. I want to summarize a few things on the blessing of giving. Because the blessing is this. The blessing is that if you give, God will do things for you. Now, don't give to get from God. God's not a vending machine, a slot machine. If you hear anybody on TV say, send in $10, God will give you 100 Send in 100 God will give you 1000 Turn it off. Run. Okay? That's not the way it goes down in the kingdom of God. But God blesses, and he blesses profoundly. This is what it says. This is a scripture, Luke 6.38. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured out into your lap. For the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. In other words, he's saying, God sees, and if you give, God will give to you in a way that has overflow to it. You know, back then, if you had grain, you might have some grain in your, in your pail, but if you shake it, it settles down more. And he's talking about even being filled more, shaken down, pressed together, and overflowing. God is the one who can do this. We're not capable of it, but God can do it. In Malachi 3.10, he actually commands, he uses the term tithe in Malachi to his people, and he says, tithe so that people are spiritually fed. These are some biblical principles, and Philippians 4.14 says, and here's the context, the context of this is for those who support the work of God. The local church is typically the storehouse, but I like to say, this is important, There are some of you here today that have an issue with the whole thing. When anybody talks about giving, maybe you've seen something or heard something, or that categorically it's an area of, I'm not hearing this, na 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 na. You know how kids do that? Na 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 na. It's like, I'm not hearing it. Because it's an area. It it is just an area in in your life, in your heart. If that's the case, I would tell you that you're choosing to miss out on a blessing of God, and it's your choice. It's really your choice. In Malachi, God says, you're robbing me. And he says, test me on this to see if it's true. Test me. You don't believe me? Test me. He doesn't say test me anywhere else. He's like, on this, test me. 
But it's an area of faith that some won't venture into and they'll never experience the blessing. And I would suggest to you this. I am so convinced of the spiritual law that if you have a problem or you think there's any issues or you think there's any motives because everyone has these ideas, don't give here. Let me be abundantly clear. Do not give at Valley Metro Church. But give. Don't get out of giving. Don't get out of giving. Give to the work of the kingdom of God. Experience and learn the blessing. Because it's there. There's no motive here. It's your life and your blessing in scripture. And so some of you, again, you're like, yeah, I know. I already get this. And others are like, I don't know about that. And I just want to challenge you. There's blessing in this and finishing well. Paul's like, you got to know this. I would say this on this note too. The opposite of the blessing is true as well. There's a passage that explains it quite well. Exodus 16. Exodus 16. God is providing manna for his people, our daily bread. You know how we pray, Lord, give us our daily bread? God provides our daily bread. Different way than back in the desert, but he provides our daily bread. And in the same way, God was providing manna for the people. And as long as they appropriated it properly, God blessed them and there was always more. But this is what they decided to do. They're like, oh yeah? Well, I don't know if I'm getting more, so I'm going to hoard it. And they hoarded what God gave them. And it says in Exodus 16, it says it turned wormy and rotten. I know it's a bad visual before lunch, guys. I am so sorry. But that's what Scripture says. <laughs> that's what Scripture says about hoarding. That's just what it says. And it says the opposite, that in giving, there's blessing. So there's some folks that don't know maybe why you're stuck and finances are upside down and you can't figure anything out. I would ask the Lord, am I faithful to your principle? And if you are, God's going to get you through whatever storm and you're going to see his hand and you will have testimony. But I will say that if we're not functioning in the spiritual principle, you can't earn your way to heaven through this and it's not about getting to heaven. But if you're talking about God's blessing... It says clearly before us that this is a step that some people choose to walk in faith and get rewarded and others don't. And there may not be blessing. For some of you, it's time to start trusting the Lord in this area of your life. You've got to learn what that blessing is about. And this is the last thing. In fact, if the worship team could come up, I just want to finish this last passage because it's a great summary. It says that they knelt down and they prayed and they cried and they hugged each other and they kissed Paul goodbye and it's, it's a sad visual. He's like, you're never going to see me again, but please hold on to these things. Whatever you do, hold on to these things. And it's a sad scene. And if we could picture the emotion going on. And after that, he's sailing back, his last missionary journey. And he's sailing back now to go to Jerusalem. And he's on a fast track. He's on his way back. He's almost back. He stops briefly right here in, in um, verse 1. And it says, after we had torn ourselves away from them, we put out to sea and sailed straight to Kos. The next day we went to Rhodes and from there to Patera. We found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, went on board and set sail. And after sighting Cyprus and passing to the south, we sailed on to Syria. We landed in Tyre where our ship was to unload its cargo. Finding the disciples there, we stayed with them seven days. Through the spirit, they urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. But when our time was up, we left and continued on our way. All the disciples and their wives and children accompanied us out of the city, and there on the beach we knelt to pray. After saying goodbye to each other, we went aboard the ship and returned home. 
another powerful scene that sets the picture up of Paul stopping by people he loves, spending a little time with them, sending, you're not, it's twice in a row, you're not going to see me. And spending a little time to share the important things. They love him so much because he gave his life and gave them truth and gave them direction and gave them love that on the way out, picture the scene, they go down to the beach with him and you got men and women and children all on the beach on their knees praying. And I don't know what that scene looked like. They're like, Lord, help Paul. He's never coming back, Lord. We're never going to see him again. We love him. And these people are just, they're tearing because Paul poured into their life. It's a profound visual. And Paul's like, yeah, but you're going to be fine. You don't need me, but hold on to these things. Hold on to these things. And if you hold on to these things, you'll have an exit strategy too. You'll live for the glory of God. You'll finish well. Would you hold on to these things? And I think that's amazing. And one day too, folks, we will maybe have the opportunity of a farewell address. We may have that opportunity. And if we do, there's two things we want to be able to do. We, we want to be able to look back without any regret and look forward without any fear. Amen? If we can look back with no regrets, like our sister Jackie did, like Paul did, like the things he's laying out here, look back with no regret and look forward without fear, that's exactly where we want to be. So let's close in prayer. I just want to pray that, God, if there's one or two of these areas that aren't a reality in our life, that we start taking this to heart, that we could finish well also and have an exit strategy that gives God glory. Mighty God, we, we love you, Lord. We're here today because we love you. We're here today because we want to worship you. We want to praise you. We're here today because we want to grow in you. We're here today because we want to understand your direction. We want to get in on your power. We want to have more love in our life, more power, more direction. We want to finish well. We want to be great with everything that you've given us. We want to make the most out of every opportunity. We don't want to look back at life in the rearview mirror and go, yeah, we were, I was a little sloppy with that. and I knew I was being sloppy with it, and I never really made any adjustments. We want to say, God, I tried by your grace to make the most of the opportunities. I pray in these areas, and myself included, Lord God, reveal the areas that were... We're not finishing well. We're on a journey. There's a couple of areas where we're wobbly, where we have a wobbly wheel, and we're kind of just going down the road, and we're not addressing it. And it's slowing us down, and it's affecting our witness, and maybe even robbing us of blessing, and maybe others around us bless. Show us, Lord, what these areas are. We want to live for your glory. We want to walk in your power, Lord. We can't afford to not walk in in your power. So I pray today, Lord God, you would do a new thing. Show us, Lord, how you bless obedience. Show us how you pour out blessing. Show us how when we take stewardship of other people's lives in the areas that you've entrusted us, when we take it seriously, when we start to be watchful and prayerful, you do show us things supernaturally by your Holy Spirit. When we start to um, take care of anything outstanding, with others in our life, any harms, that you bless that, there's a freedom in that, you lighten our load and you bless some steps in our life. Show us, Lord, how to not be afraid to speak the truth and love in others' lives and show us how to be, receive that in our own lives, be open to that. Show us, Lord God, how to stay committed to you and to your word so we can really discern things, God, 
Show us how to not covet what other people have, because that has ripped so many people off along the way. Let that not be true of us, God. Show us how to establish the work ethic where we're not lazy in our witness on on what we do and how we do it, God. And Lord, I also pray we'd learn the blessing of giving, Lord. These are things, God, that Paul laid down. He laid them down. We're here today for a reason, and this is the passage. You wanted us to hear these things. I pray you'd seal some things in our hearts. Lord, if there's any today that maybe know about you, learning about you, open and growing, but haven't made a decision, a clear-cut day and time where they said, you know what? Yes, Lord, I respect you and honor you, but I never surrendered my life to you. I pray that today would be the day, Lord. I pray that tomorrow is not promised to any one of us. I pray that today would be the day, Lord. God, if there's any here today that would be say, you know what, God, it is time. I, I, I never actually held up the white flag. I, again, I respect you. I know some things about you. I appreciate you. But I've never said, I'm getting off the throne and putting you on it. I pray today is the day, Lord. And if anyone today senses that this is time, Lord God, you would recognize that. As, if that's the prayer, if that's the cry of their heart saying, Lord, I'm done driving. You drive. You drive. Um. You steer, you direct, God. My way isn't successful and victorious. Your ways are. Your plans are better than mine. I want to admit it. I'm willing to go along with your program because it's better. It's for my hope and my future. It's to prosper me and not harm me. You have good things for your people, Lord. Plans, things orchestrated from the foundation. You predestine things and I'm steering the wrong direction. Lord, would you take over? Lord, if today is the day of surrender, Lord God, I pray you would seal that in people's lives, Lord, and you would anoint and do a new thing, unlike ever before, that they would see the glory, they would see the profound breakthrough and the life that exists on the other side of surrender. Surrender is not defeat. Surrender is life. Life begins after surrender. And I pray, Lord God, if we've surrendered and taken any area back in our life, that today we'd surrender it again. Go, Lord, I've been taking back some areas. I want to surrender again to you today, Lord. So, Lord, I just pray that us as individuals and us at a church, we want to see your power in our lives. We want to see your power in the city. We want to see transformation, Lord. We have friends and family and people that need to know you and want to grow in the things of the kingdom. Use us in mighty ways, God. We love you. We love you. We love you. We thank you for these things. We ask them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.